I was so nervous when we showed it in New Memphis. We were showing above a bar, fortunately. Um, <laughs> I was so nervous that I lost all feeling in both of my arms. <laughs> like they were just swinging. <laughs> they were just swinging. The... Yeah, like pendulums. <laughs> yeah. My name is Wes Gibbons, and welcome back to the Tungsten Originals podcast. You just heard part of my conversation with producer Stephen Stanley. We discussed navigating the film industry, diversity in Hollywood, and that one time he made a feature film with zero filmmaking experience. We covered a lot of ground in this episode, and Stanley had some amazing advice for upcoming filmmakers. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Episode 30 of the Tungsten Originals Podcast. Professor Stanley, thank you so much for doing this podcast. How's your summer gone? Uh, it's good. I uh, just got back from Los Angeles where I wrapped a feature I've been producing and I'm trying to relax. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How long was that? Like, how long were you working on that project? Uh, well, I read the first time I read the script was about three years ago. Oh, um, wow. But okay. we started active prep in probably February, March. Okay. Um, and we should uh, be picture locked in October. So Okay. Gotcha. So um, now that now that the wrapping is done, is your job mostly done? No, I think one thing about producing um, is you you're kind of the person that has to always keep it right going. Um, so through distribution, through delivery, through right. even you. I mean, I have movies I produced five years ago <laughs> that you're still arguing with a distributor <laughs> over right what they're doing. Like, okay, we're off of Netflix. What are you doing next? Mm-hmm. Right? So. But it, it diminishes. If you've right. done your job well, it, it slowly diminishes. Mm-hmm. There'll be another little burst as we start to get ready for delivery and mm-hmm. another little burst as you sell it. Mm-hmm. So as you mentioned, you're a producer. You're a professor here at SCAD. I had you for pre-production last mm-hmm. quarter. Before we talk more about your career as a producer, could you tell me the story about how you got involved in film yeah. and like where your desire to work in that world came from? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, actually, I started as a writer. I uh, okay. I actually started as a novelist is how I got involved in hmm. the arts. I always loved writing um, originally more essays. Um, mm-hmm. And I was interested in performing arts. I did um, high school acting competition. Um, okay. Uh, we call it forensics in Tennessee. Um, Are you from Tennessee? Yeah, I'm from East Tennessee. Okay. Um, originally. So, Merville. Marvel. It's, it's spelled Maryville. <laughs> okay, gotcha. It's pronounced Marvel. And you have, um, did you live in Memphis for a little bit? Because I remember us talking about that in class. Or yes. you've been there before? I moved to uh, Memphis. I went to Rhodes College. Oh, right. My um, sister went there for a year. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I loved the school. It was, mm-hmm. uh, I majored in French. Um, loved French literature. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd been, uh, my best friend and I from high school, we wrote a novel together oh, okay. uh, during college. Um, and then we kind of shopped it. This was before... It's really before the internet, to be honest. Mm-hmm. This was uh, pre, but definitely pre self-publishing right. being as easy as, not as easy now. It's easy to self-publish. It's hard to get people to buy it. Right. Um, didn't know what we were doing. We wrote a second novel and kind of somewhere in there it hit us that we were really kind of writing things that were more theatrical or more cinematic, I guess. Is okay. A, and that maybe we were writing movies or maybe we should at mm-hmm. least try it. Um, so uh, Chris uh, Trico, my friend and I, we wrote a feature film. We just figured we'd start with a feature. Uh, we <laughs> ordered a, a camera at the time. It was a top of the line. It was SD because we didn't have HD. Then. Right. But it was the first kind of wave of video cameras that you could shoot and look vaguely professional if you knew what okay. you were doing. Right. So we ordered that, the Sony TRV 900, um, and we opened the box and shot a feature film. Wow. Um, we like to joke, but I think it's true that no one has ever known less about making a movie. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know what the director did. Right. We're like, at one point, one of the actors kind of was asking us for notes, and we're like, oh, I guess we're supposed to <laughs> tell them that. Yeah, right. Um, did you, like, have a fascination with film growing up? Like, were you an avid film watcher? Yeah, you know, honestly, I watched a lot of television. Okay. I am a film lover, but I'm not your sort of classic... Like I can, you know, like recite the entire Criterion Collection. <laughs> right, right. Me no, either. I I'm love not that, that person either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love people. I love film right. studies people. But yeah, I was really more of a reader and a TV watcher. But I love film. And actually, my French major, one thing it gave me was I lived in Paris um, after undergrad. Mm-hmm. And over there, you can 
go. I didn't have a television, mm-hmm. but you can go to these small theaters all over Paris, some of them the size of a living room, and you can right. see classic movies. I saw Easy Rider. I saw Midnight Cowboy. I saw Delicatessen. Just any movie that you can think of at some point is going to play in Paris, right, mm-hmm. in the theater. Still to this day, mm-hmm. really. And that, not coincidentally, I think, is kind of when I started thinking more about writing film. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so we really, we made that, but in it, Oddly enough, people liked it. Um, oh, wow. We played in a couple festivals. Uh, the Memphis Daily Paper put us on their honorable mention for best movies of 20, 2003? No, 2001. Oh, my God, 2001. <laughs> okay. Uh, wow. And so we made another. Mm-hmm. Um, that one, the first we made on our credit cards. Uh, the second one, uh, unfortunately, I did not have much credit, so I didn't have a lot <laughs> right. to pay off. Right. Um, our second movie... We got a friend to invest. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot. We spent about $9,000 on that one, um, the second one, but a friend invested. Um, unfortunately, we did lose his money, but mm-hmm. but it did okay, too. Like, mm-hmm. again, we played the kind of regional festivals. Right. Did you ever do Indie Memphis? Was that around at that time? That was the first festival I was ever in. Oh, wow. I just went there this with the, my most recent movie, and I loved it. Oh, it's a great festival. Yeah, it's it is. a fantastic festival. Yeah. And they really, you know, they support Southern filmmakers. They do. They support... Local filmmakers. Mm-hmm. I was so nervous when we showed it in New Memphis. We were showing above a bar, fortunately. Um, <laughs> and uh, we, I was so nervous that I lost all feeling in both of my arms. <laughs> like they were just swinging. <laughs> they were just swinging. The... Yeah, like pendulums. <laughs> yeah. So I got up out of my chair. And the movie had started and I kind of like shouldered the door open in the back. <laughs> and I just had to walk around outside. We were on um, Beale Street. And oh, walked right. around outside on Beale Street until I got feeling back. And then I started walking <laughs> back up the stairs. And it was a comedy. Okay. And um, I heard people laughing. Wow. It was the most magical sound. Yeah. And that got me hooked. Right. Um, this could take an hour of just my life. So I'm going to oh, fast forward. No, I love it. I'm loving it. <laughs> so like when you were making those early movies, how did you split up the work between you and your friend? Or was it just like, we'll figure it out? <laughs> yeah, we... You know? The first one, it was... Yeah, we... Kind of co, we just co did everything. Right, right. Um, wardrobe. I did a little more production design because I was a florist at the time, so okay. I was you know thinking a little more visually. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we kind of just split everything up. On the second movie, we tried to specialize. We got a crew member. We nice. actually had two crew members. Oh wow! And from Melissa did sound. Our friend Chris was kind of all purpose mm-hmm. crew. We had a, our friend Laura did the catering, so we had a crew of three. But then we started to specialize a little. I mm-hmm. did more directing, Chris did more cinematography. But okay. you know, we we grew up together. Right. We did everything kind of. Mm-hmm. And after that one, I decided I better. I mean, it did fine, but I was mm-hmm. like, I want to aim a little higher. I was starting to see these movies. Mm-hmm. I remember I saw Gus Van Sant's Elephant, mm-hmm. and it was so good. And I was just like, I can't do anything close to this. <laughs> so I was like, I'm gonna go to film school. So I went, um, came to SCAD, mm-hmm. and did the MFA program at SCAD to kind of learn more properly, right? you know, the whole facet of everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, because I, I did find we were reinventing the wheel. We figured right. out a lot. We we had our own style, which was interesting, but we were spending a lot of time figuring out things that there were already easy solutions for. Mm-hmm. So you came to SCAD. Oh, this is, we're still only like a third of the way through. But. <laughs> perfect, perfect. <laughs> I had a great experience here. I mean, I made, mm-hmm. took classes, everybody, you know, some of your listeners will be SCAD students, so learned you know everything sound cinematography producing um and then my final year at scad one of the professors suggested i do an internship in los angeles and uh, she connected me with the gersh agency mm-hmm. uh, which is one of the larger talent agencies in the business um so i went out to la uh interned at gersh and then kind of out of that experience and a lot of encouragement decided to go back out after i graduated because mm-hmm. they liked me Right. I went back out and had a job with them. And so the talent agency is that's the the beehive of the business mm-hmm. of the industry. So I was thrown right into the middle of the industry mm-hmm. um, and decided, okay, I better learn this. If I really want to keep making movies, I better learn this. Were you uh, confident with that transition? I was. I mean, the internship uh, was scary i just coming out of east tennessee i mean i'd lived in paris but not you know not in a industry sort of sense right. i was teaching english so this was a really different world mm-hmm. um, and a lot of the cliches are true i mean there are a lot of um sharky mm-hmm. sorts of people there are great people 
I've told my classes this, but every year in my performance, I ended up in the agency for five years. In my performance evaluation, the biggest complaint they had is that I was too nice. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very East Tennessee-like thing, you know? (laughs) Yeah, and I'm like, uh, the first year I thought they were kidding. Right. And then the next year, like, you're really, you're too nice. And I was like, well, what, what do you guys want? Yeah, exactly. Like, and I, I was never the killer that was, you right. know, and the agency wants somebody that'll rip somebody's throat out to make right. a deal, you know? And that wasn't me, but I was doing good things. Mm-hmm. I was doing a good job. So you know, I spent five years there, of which I probably should have spent maybe three. Um, I don't regret it. I have mm-hmm. good friends from there, but they recognized before I did that that wasn't my path. Hmm. Interesting. What happened, though, and this is what led me into producing, is while I was there, they started a finance division, indie finance and distribution. All the agencies have these. So agencies traditionally represent actors, directors, writers. Mm-hmm. Um, Gershwin specialized, too, in department head cinematographers, mm-hmm. um, production designers. But what's happened in the last 10 years is they want to take care of the whole range of their clients' business interests. So now they all have divisions that represent money to raise money for films that will sell movies um, that will put movies together. We call it packaging. They'll put actors on. Mm-hmm. It's producing. Legally, agencies are not allowed to produce. Um, when you're licensed by the state of California or the state of New York or wherever you are, you're prohibited from producing to keep agencies from having too much power, to monopolizing oh, the whole okay. process. Because okay. they have all the actors. They right. Have. That makes sense. So, But what they can do are these finance divisions. So. Mm. I had been, you know, I started in the mailroom. I got really lucky in my first promotion. I became the assistant to the president of the agency. It's a solid promotion. (laughs) It was, I got, I mean, I I earned it in that I'd done a really good job as an intern. Um, So when he had an assistant just kind of flame out and he needed a Mm -hmm. quick replacement. Um, And so he, David Gersh, walked into the mailroom and said, is there a Stephen Stanley here? And everybody just froze. Like, (laughs) what's happening? And next thing I knew, I was at lunch uh, with David. Like the Um, name of the company, David. Wow, yeah, that's yeah. crazy. His dad started it, but yeah, oh, he, gosh, okay. uh, his dad was Humphrey Bogart's agent, was a classic wow. Hollywood agent, Phil right. Gersh. David and Bob run it. Um, David was an incredibly nice man. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to lunch with him, and next thing I knew, I was his assistant, which then you're in the mailroom, nobody's paying attention to you. You're right. the president's assistant, everybody remembers right. you. Now you know? everyone knows Stephen Stanley. <laughs> yeah, was, at least within that world. Right, you know? of course. And that was amazing. I learned all those mechanics of how that mm-hmm. business works. And I just tried to absorb everything I could. I did that for two years. Typically, as an assistant, you do it for a year. Okay. It's a position you're designed to move on from. I did it for two. And at the end of that, I started talking to David. At the end of the year, I was like, you know, probably going to be time to move on. He's like, I really want to keep you. I knew they were starting this um, finance division. Mm-hmm. So I just mentioned, you know, I'd really love to end up in that. Um, and after the second year, he still wanted to keep me, to be honest. Um, but it was, you know, a man of his word and really mm-hmm. helped me get into that. So they promoted me into a coordinator position. I was still an assistant, but a glorified assistant. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, and I was a coordinator in the finance division. I got mm-hmm. to work under a guy named Jay Cohen, who produced Swimming with Sharks, uh, produced Mad Money. He ran Dustin Hoffman's company when Dustin Hoffman has his own production company. So this amazing industry mm. Um, education them from Jay Cohen. Right. Uh, and two bosses in a row, neither of whom were screamers, which is rare in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. Nothing, you really lucked out. <laughs> I really did. Nothing was ever thrown at my head. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you're still here. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so then that really got me thinking a lot about producing too. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, we had we represented equity funds. We represented money. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sold movies at all the major festivals. We packaged movies. We put together. So we're for all practical purposes, we were producing movies just right. without, without credits. Um, what interested you about the financial aspects of film producing? Well, I had um, vowed to myself after my my nine thousand dollar eight eighty seven hundred dollar whatever it was movie. The, the next movie I made, everybody would get paid. Because I was like, I just can't keep doing it. Nothing wrong. I love doing it on weekends with my friends. Right. So it's like, I got to figure out how to raise a million dollars. Right. That's not. It feels good to pay people for their work. Oh, yeah. And yeah. you really, to make a feature, you can make a feature for 200 grand. You, you make it for whatever you want. But I think you need about a million or more to start mm-hmm. doing it. And then eventually you need 10, 20, 30, 40. Right. Million. Of course. Growing up in East Tennessee, I did not know anybody with a million dollars. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> right. I, I'm the same way in yeah. North Mississippi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I'm sure there are people there. Right. Because to spend a million dollars on a film, you need to be worth $50 million. Exactly. Because you're going to lose your million dollars. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> or at least you have to be prepared to. <laughs> right. And that has to be like not a big deal to you. Right. <laughs> and then if you do enough of those, or maybe you get 700 back, and then eventually you get that one that hits. Right. So that, it needs to be that level of money mm-hmm. for you. So it's like, I really want to figure this out. So for me, all about being in the industry was I want to learn everything I can from the beginning to the end of this process. Mm-hmm. That led me to distribution. I ran a distribution company. Um, some of our, we represent an equity fund. Uh, they wanted to start a distribution company. I was ready to leave the agency. So I was like, okay, let's do this. And we started from scratch, uh, released 25 movies and did, we did well. I mean, we weren't mm-hmm. uh, paramount by any means, right. but we did, we released some fairly successful indie films. Mm-hmm. But from there... I really realized, okay, I've done all this. Mm-hmm. It's a tricky part about the industry. Right. It's exciting. You're going to Cannes, you're going to Sundance, mm-hmm. it's fun. Suddenly you're like, okay, oh my God, I'm, I see years passing by. Right. I need to make movies again. Um, I did while, during all that, I was developing and writing my own features. I had a mm-hmm. manager for a while. Um, I had a script turned into a comic book. Wow, um, that's really cool. Yeah, it was interesting. Wow, wow. Yeah, I wrote I've a, never heard of that like transition. Yeah, I wrote a script with Ziggy Marley through my manager got me, and we didn't get um, the uh, the script never got made. Mm-hmm. But he met a comic book writer that loved, read the script and loved it. Image Comics, who's a big comic, right? Player, yeah, they loved it. They made a graphic novel out of it, released wow. it at Comic Con. Oh wow, that is so cool! So oddly enough, yeah, my one writing right. So you, so technically, you can say that you've debuted something at Comic Con. Yeah, although <laughs> because I wrote the screenplay, I wrote what it, it was based right. on. To be fair, Jim right. Allfood wrote this comic book. Mm-hmm. So, but right. yes, that was by my... transit of property. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> right. So, uh, but uh, I developed a feature that almost got made mm-hmm. that I was going to direct, and then I don't know. I just I came to this moment. I still like directing. I make documentaries. I direct my own documentaries. But when I was trying to direct my feature, it was like banging my head against a wall. Right. And when I was producing, things were just moving. Mm-hmm. It was flowing. Uh, so I produced um, five movies in the last few years, um, features. And so I was like, okay, I think I'm supposed to be producing. Mm-hmm. And I like it. So that led me to where I am today, which is producing indie features. Right. Um, and then, you know, directing uh, documentaries and mm-hmm. teaching. So do you think you have to have a certain type of personality to be a producer? Um, you don't have to have one specific one, but I do think, you know, I think this producing is, you know, there's no reason a movie has to be made. Right. No matter how good it is. It mm-hmm. could be Christopher Nolan's new movie. That doesn't have to be made. Mm-hmm. Right. It only gets made because people force it into existence. And that person is the director, but that person is also the producer. Mm-hmm. And in the end, as the producer, you have to be somebody that doesn't get easily discouraged, that doesn't give up and that's willing to fight because you've got mm-hmm. to fight for this movie to make it happen. It could fall apart all the way up until the last day of shooting. This right. feature, I just finished a feature. Something happened right before the last day of shooting that could have tanked this movie. Right. <laughs> and it's not because we didn't do our job. It's because mm-hmm. movies are chaos. Right? right. So I think you have to be producing whatever personality type it is. I think you need to be the type of person that perseveres the type of person that can handle that chaos and and see the big picture and see the way mm-hmm. through it and the type of person that will fight for it. Mm-hmm. So whenever you were learning those different aspects of filmmaking, of film production, the film industry has changed even within like so much, even within like the past 10 years. So was it trying to like, because you, you were learning obviously the overall fundamentals, but did you ever learn something and then it like immediately had to change because of just how like the introdu- introduction of like streaming services and all of that came like, how did that affect your learning process? I think one thing in film is you have to learn how to learn right. things. You know, like right. you have to learn how to learn new software. You have to mm-hmm. learn. I've taught myself new software, even in distribution. I teach a distribution class mm-hmm. in SCAD. Um, I started at UCLA. Um, I taught in their extension program. And in the three years between teaching it at UCLA and teaching it at SCAD, when I got to the digital distribution lecture, every company had gone out of business. Oh my god. That I had lectured on. <laughs> Three years. <laughs> and these were massively funded companies. Right. Like this was and they were all out of business. So it's, wow. That's really scary. <laughs> it is. Other than it, it's opportunity. <laughs> of right? course, of course. Um so I do think you do have to be adaptable. You have to even be adaptable in like what's getting made and how is it getting made. Mm-hmm. Um there was a while where there was a lot of uh new Asian money coming in. Mm-hmm. Now 
Chinese film market, they can make their more of their own movies. Right. Before they were trying to, there was more money coming to Hollywood from it. There's time when there's um, you know different types of investors coming in. There's mm-hmm. times uh, it's always changing, and you right. have to constantly adapt to that. Now the challenge in producing, in particular. What also makes a good producer to circle back to that question is you don't want to start just making anything you can because that's what you can get made. Mm-hmm. And that's the temptation. Right. Particularly if you're relying on that paycheck. Right. So it is find, having the good taste, finding that good material, and then understanding these trends and being able to adapt to them. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, to, to get back to that question, though, is things are changing so quickly mm-hmm. every few years. I mean, when I was in film school, the only HD cameras was like the $100,000 Cine Alto that we had, you know, two of or whatever. Right, right? And now right. that's the intro cameras, a 4K of camera. Of course, yeah. What doesn't change and what hasn't changed is the storytelling, hmm. is the art of storytelling. What makes a good story hasn't changed, right? So I think where everything I've sort of learned has stayed with me over the years is in that, in thinking about story. Mm-hmm. Everything else is just thinking about how to get that story mm-hmm. done and out there. So you were talking about how you you lived and worked in L.A. and started your career there, or at least that was like a big growth for your career, and now you're living and working in Savannah and still working in the industry. Do you think it's still necessary to live in a place like L.A. or New York to, quote-unquote, break into the film industry? Because um, everyone asks me if I'm going to L.A. whenever I tell them that I go to film <laughs> school, <laughs> like all my you know like relatives. I'd say yes and no, and I'll tell you why on both. Part of it's what you want to do. If you want to be a crew member, a DP, a, a script supervisor, um, then it's a lot easier to break into other markets. So Atlanta, for example, is amazing. Right, right. Atlanta is a fantastic market, particularly if you want to jump on a crew and work your way up from, mm-hmm. you know, work your way through the AD ranks, work your way through the um, through the camera ranks. Mm-hmm. Um, for directing, producing, and even, to be honest, acting, although acting you can be a little more in another market, mm-hmm. What you need is a director and what you need is a producer. You need relationships. Um, so what you can't get out of, you can get, I shouldn't say you can't get, but what you, it's harder to develop out of the smaller markets or the relationships you need. So I'd, if I'm producing a movie, um, we lost a, one of our co-leads in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, three days before we we're going to start shooting. Um, because I worked in a talent agency, I knew a lot of talent agents. Right. I could call people up and say, listen, this movie, we need to recast in the next 48 hours. It's it's a good movie. It's a right. solid project. You can trust me. Mm-hmm. We'll take care of your client. Solve that problem, right? Or mm-hmm. you need casting directors. Casting directors, I've mm-hmm. uh, never worked with a director before. You know these casting directors. You know actors. You know crew that you need. There's all these relationships you need to function most effectively. Those are easiest to come by in a, in a city like New York or L.A. Now, the flip side of that and where I'd say no is particularly in directing and writing is you have to be creating great material right you have to know your voice and have a voice Mm -hmm. sometimes in the biggest cities it's easy to get lost it's Mm -hmm. easy to get discouraged um it's easy to start doubting your voice it's easy to end up having the same voice as all these other people because you're all in the same place like for me what inspired me was the south right that's where i'm from and after 10 years of being separated from it i realized i started losing the spark of my Mm -hmm. creative energy right so I do think you could be in Savannah, uh, you could mm-hmm. be in Atlanta, mm-hmm. um, you could be in a city like this, particularly now with all these things happening here. It's mm-hmm. exciting, you know. Um, but what you need to be doing if you're not in one of those major cities is focusing on your work, creating this body of work, and still focusing on those relationships you need mm-hmm. to make the best movies you can. If you're in Atlanta, go to networking events, find actors, find collaborators, so that you guys are all, it's what you're getting out of film school, you have that now. People start to scatter. Right. Keep finding that and keep finding those. And then if it doesn't matter if you're in a, a smaller city. But I think for me, what I wanted to do, I wanted I needed to be in one of the major markets for long enough that mm-hmm. I had the relationships that now I can call people on the phone. Right. And and have those first hand relationships mm-hmm. that let me be more effective in yeah. my in my end of the industry. Yeah, I think you always hear like the film industry, it's all about who you know and not what you know. And I used to think that that meant like if you know a famous person, they'll get you a job or whatever. But what I've learned is that exactly what you were just saying, if you know a casting director, they can help you and stuff like that. Like it's not about knowing someone who's quote unquote big or whatever, but it's just like having like actual friendships in the industry. 100%. That's what... 
when people talk about networking and they think it's showing up at a, a party or a bar and finding that one big producer and pitching their movie to them in the bathroom, that is not networking. That's harassment. <laughs> That's harassment. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. It's, so networking is forming real relationships right. with people who will then... And form the relationships, not sitting there thinking, okay, maybe they'll help me one day. Right. But yeah, maybe they will. But you don't want right. to form a real connection with people. And then you, years later, somebody told me when I first got to Los Angeles, they said, you know, it's going to take nine years, but in nine years, things are really going to start moving. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm not waiting nine years. I'm going to be an old man. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. Some, but oddly enough, right around nine years. Huh. I mean, I, I feel I was successful before that. Right. I worked my way up through the agency. I started a company. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying the first nine years things were happening, but around the nine-year mark is when suddenly I felt like, and I think what had happened is all these friendships I made along the way, we were all advancing together. Okay. And suddenly right. I had this network I, that just seemed crazy to mm-hmm. me. You know? you know, I lost some of those when I left, but I kept mm-hmm. the ones that I had real mm-hmm. relationships with. So you just mentioned that you started your own company. Correct. Mm-hmm. What right. was that like, and what pushed you to take the reins yourself? Yeah, so this uh, was Ketchup Entertainment. We represented Ketchup Media was their name at the time. Okay. Uh, it was three guys. Um, they had raised some money. They were investing in films, and they decided they didn't uh, really like the film funding model, mm-hmm. which, honestly, you have to enjoy the process because it right. takes years, mm-hmm. development, and then you, you think you're going to go, and you don't. Mm-hmm. They didn't like any of that process. They wanted to do it as business people. Um, And they also had noticed kind of this gap in the market of good indie U.S. distribution, particularly ones that care and that will tailor a model to you and and take care of you and be able to tell an investor how much money they might make back. So they were looking at doing that. I was interested. I kind of, like I mentioned, it was, it felt like time to leave the agency. Right. And with their support, because they were our clients, uh, my boss, Jay Cohen, kind of already knew them, but helped set up this talk that we had about starting a company together. Mm -hmm. Um, so we had, a, um, they funded it, uh, with a CEO, I was head of acquisitions and head of distribution and we launched it literally from scratch. Wow. We formed a partnership with some people for DVD and all mm. that. I was able to kind of shadow their offices and figure out what it was all doing. But we, mm-hmm. we hired the marketers, we approved the posters, we, and we just started buying movies. Um, fortunately wow. we had a fund. Right. So it's amazing how nice people will be to you if you can write them a check for a million dollars. Yeah, <laughs> I've heard that helps. <laughs> it would certainly help for me. <laughs> yeah, which was uh, it was for me. We I'd been a we'd been selling movies, mm-hmm. but suddenly to go to Sundance, Cannes, Toronto, and be a film buyer. Oh yeah, was great. Right. So and I knew enough from the agency world to know. And have, from having sold to know how to mm-hmm. get us in with the sales agents because that's who controls the product, right? right. Um, so I was like, we should make. We had a pretty good amount of money. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, we should make a splashy buy. Uh, we bought for us. We did a seven-figure purchase of a movie. It was a Paul Walker movie. Mm-hmm. Um, this is well before he passed away, mm-hmm. and that got everybody's attention, right? right. Like, oh, these guys are for real. And then that next festival, they're sending us. They're calling us. Suddenly, right. we're in all these rooms. Right. Was that thrilling? It was exciting. It was yeah. fun. That's yeah. not the world for me. That's never was my goal, but mm-hmm. it is, you know, UTA chartered a jet for Sundance. We got to ride up on their jet. And right. It's just stuff that's fun. Living you know? the Hollywood life. Yeah. You tell your friends about <laughs> of it. Of course. You exactly. Know, like, you're I, East Tennessee back home friends. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, it's, it's fun. You know, you're meeting mm-hmm. celebrities. It is exciting. The film industry's fun. Mm-hmm. And I, I think if you're in that position, you should enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Having an expense account is fun, right? Right. (laughs) Right. But it just, in the end, this is a tricky thing is, Mm -hmm. and a friend kind of helped me realize this, it actually made it harder because I was, I had proximity to everything I ever wanted, but I wasn't actually doing what I wanted. Oh, interesting. So that actually became, for the first two years, it was amazing. Right. But then I would go to festivals and I'd be in the audience ready to buy a movie, but what I really wanted to be is one of those people up front. Right who were talking about the movie they all made together. Was it hard to leave that, leave being the audience member and transitioning to that other stage? It was, it, it was uh, scary. Right. Um, you know, I knew I needed to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I did. I had started teaching nights because I, I love teaching. So for me, I was just going to teach nights and do this. But that little bit of teaching gave me a little more stability and, and income and other mm-hmm. things that made me feel comfortable taking that leap. And it, um but yeah, I just knew I had to start making them or I just knew I knew I knew it was going to happen as so I was going to get bitter. 
Right. And that's not that's not where I ever want to be in my mm -hmm. life. Of course. Bitter. So so I started uh I you know, realized I love teaching. Mm -hmm. Um and I realized I love making movies and, and teaching in a university is a way to kind of marry those two things. Right. You know, right. Where each feeds the other, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's your favorite part about teaching? Um teach you know, it's I love uh I love working with students. I love seeing things click. Mm -hmm. I learn from them too. So right. but it's nice as a as a teacher to take these things we have learned mm -hmm. and be able to pass them on and and watch a new generation apply. I love seeing where students go with their with their work. So there's something really beautiful about that. And film sets are teaching places too. Absolutely. So a lot of what I like about movies is is similar to what I like about because we're mm -hmm. all teaching each other on a film set. Right. People are apprenticing in every position. Um, right. So yeah, and uh, so for me, it's been a really nice, particularly with indie producing. I feel like as a professor, I want to keep making movies so that I'm talking to my students about current things that right. I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, as a filmmaker, it's nice to be teaching because it's it's getting me out of the industry. Mm -hmm. Industry can make you jaded. <laughs> yeah, of it's, course. It's showing me actually, and I will even back up. What I also love about teaching is seeing that excitement and seeing the students and seeing what it feels like to have this world opening up right. and that just sheer joy of making movies. Right. Not that student films are always joyful, but... <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about but, it. Yeah. But I do get what you're saying. It's that like bright-eyed, bushy-tails, like we're making a movie. This is the coolest thing ever. Yeah. and just, I try to exist in that as much as I can. You should. That's the only way to make them. There's mm -hmm. got to be a fearlessness to it. Right. You know? Right. We want to be safe and all that. Of course. But there's got to be... Of yeah. course. Because it's, it's crazy to make a movie. Right. But it's also right. amazing. Right. I have to, like, I'll be on a set and, you know, something is always going wrong. And sometimes I'll get, like, super stressed, especially if I'm, like, in a higher position, like, director or producer. But I have a, a good friend of mine who's really good at reminding me, like, keep in mind what we're doing is by far the most fun thing you can ever do. <laughs> like, be right. happy that you're stressed, but you're stressed about a movie instead of, like, any other thing. Absolutely. You know? I oh, don't know. I just love living in that yeah, at this yeah. at this stage. So you've worked on both feature films and shorts. Um, and what do you like slash dislike about both of them? And do you have a preference? That's an interesting question. Um, you know, I really do think they're diff they're so, they're different forms of storytelling to the extent that mm -hmm. there are things you can do in each that you can't do in another. Mm -hmm. Right. I think with short form. I love that you can just drop us in and out of a world. Right. They feel very relevant in today's media culture. Mm -hmm. You know, all Vimeo, YouTube, all these mm -hmm. things. You can get people to watch shorts, whereas 20 years ago, you made a short film, you'd be lucky if people ever watched no, it. Of course, yeah. yeah. So there's a relevance and an immediacy to short film and an ability to really just focus in on one thing, focus mm -hmm. in on one character, focus in on one moment, things that wouldn't carry a feature. You know, the ideas that would never carry a feature. Now, what I love about feature filmmaking is just to tackle that bigger world, mm -hmm. to really take us in somewhere. You know, it's funny. It's such a cliche, but like at the end of particularly 80s comedies where they say where they're going to be mm -hmm. next, you know what I mean? Right. But, which is cheesy, but at the same time, in 90 minutes, they've made us care enough about these people. Of course. That we want to know how right. their lives are going to end right. up. Right. And mm -hmm. There's something beautiful about that. I do love um, on feature filmmaking. I always feel like when I make shorts, the crew's just clicking by the time we stop. Right. I <laughs> I feel the same way. Yeah, you right. see that. Yeah. Right. It's kind of like summer camp. You get it to the total at the end, and everyone's friends, and it's like, and that's a wrap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know. So. And so the feature you get to explore that with your crew too. Mm -hmm. But in a perfect world, I'll make both. What is your favorite feature film and your favorite short film? Oh, this is hard. Okay. We watched some really, really interesting short films in your class. Oh, good. Yeah. I forget that one. I forget the name of it, but it was about the two boys. The name was like the word fox in a different oh, it was, language. Uh, fove. Fove. Oh, it was wild. Right. Yeah. They, right. they, they showed a fox at the end. So, Fove. Right. It's a French film nominated for an Oscar this year. It's one of the best short films yeah. I've seen in I'll a long time. I'll link that in the description of this episode. Y'all should watch it. Absolutely. And I'm glad you liked it too. I'm glad. Yeah. Your favorite films is hard. I think anyone who's had me in class knows that I love Todd Haynes' Safe because mm -hmm. I reference it like 20 times. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like every film professor has their thing yeah. that they reference all the time. <laughs> so I love, I love, uh, I'll give you a classic. Perfect. 
and a comedy maybe and a, okay perfect so todd haynes is safe is probably my favorite drama ever made mm -hmm. um he is i think he as much as any filmmaker living today has a formalist approach that is cognizant of every detail on that screen mm -hmm. is cognizant of of film history without seeming overly referential but anyway it's a beautiful movie i won't mm -hmm. i won't say much about it <laughs> um julianne moore this kind of really launched her into a new level of uh of respectability and mm -hmm. i mean she was already a brilliant actress but mm -hmm. her and todd haynes have worked really well together um my favorite comedy is peewee's big adventure i could watch it over and right, over and that's over great and over. that's uh, a great answer <laughs> <laughs> classic movie i love the graduate um mm. i love french film so i love french new wave i love 400 blows i'm, I'm cheating now i'm giving you way too many but... <laughs> totally fine <Okay. laughs> i'll allow it okay. <laughs> from the film professor i guess i'll allow okay, it <laughs> yeah, thank you uh, um but yeah there's way more we could go to right i try to make a, a little lists for for students it's well. a hard question to ask or to answer because people ask me that question all the time whenever they find out i'm a film major and i'm like ah I don't know. There's so many. Like and they're all like some film it's so hard to compare. Like I have a favorite film like well this year this is my favorite film and then I'll see another one and then it'll be a yeah. favorite one. Like I saw Midsummer recently. Oh yeah. What'd you think? Blew me oh, it blew me away. Yeah, I mean I I'd, I'd seen Hereditary so I was like kind of prepared for how messed up it would be. Um but man, was it a messed up movie, but in like a good way. Like yeah. I, had, I tweeted at Ari Aster and I said, I loved your movie, but I had no fun watching it yeah. <laughs> just because of how it made me feel and stuff. But it's like, it was a gorgeous movie. It is. Yeah, and I loved the idea of like a bright horror film. Yeah. You know, it wasn't yeah, like yeah. jump scare stuff, but it's a hard movie to watch. <laughs> it's, it was very rough to get through. <laughs> So you've been working as as a producer for years, as you've mentioned. If you had to choose one other job, what job would you choose? Oh, interesting. Um, you know, I was a florist for several years, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't go back to that. Right. I guess yeah. in the in this in the film industry. <laughs> oh, in the film industry. Mm -hmm. Okay, I was going to say bartender. Okay. Because <laughs> it's still storytelling. Right? right. That's true. But one day you may see me tending bar. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I do direct. Mm -hmm. So I guess it's something I'm not doing. Mm -hmm. It'd be interesting to be an actor. Yeah. I'm not great at it, <laughs> um, but it's an interesting side of the business. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they really get treated well on set. Right. Compared to the... <laughs> right. Are actors <laughs> as difficult to work with as everyone says that they are? Um, I think they're as difficult to work with as people are difficult right. to work with. Right. Some are amazing and difficult to relative work. You know, you mm -hmm. hear some of these actors are difficult. Sometimes it's because that set is not being run well right. and they care. Um, so I've had actors that were renowned for being difficult that really just cared about their craft. You right. Know? Um, but, yeah, you have people that are divas. You have people mm -hmm. that will just wander off in the middle of the day. Right. And you got to go find them. And That's <laughs> <laughs> why the first team PA exists. Right. right? Um, you know, all in all, I would say no. They're generally... Mm -hmm people that care about movies that care about their mm -hmm. care about their craft as long as somebody cares that's my biggest thing right the one thing i can't take is someone who doesn't care mm -hmm. especially like film production is so stressful it's like if you don't care why would you put yourself through this right <laughs> it's like hard process yeah you know i see like the same thing like i'll see people on student film sets and they'll just kind of like shrug their shoulders at things i'm like this requires so much effort I couldn't shrug my way through it. Like I couldn't do yeah. anything that requires this much and be like, you know, it's whatever. <laughs> yeah, I had I was had a student that came out. Uh, she was asking my advice. She was a friend. She was dating a, a good friend who's from SCAD actually. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, well, what do you want to do? She's like, well, I think I think I want to be an actor, but I don't really know if I'm, you know. But we'll just see. And in my head, I'm like, you know, there are people would like eat their own children right. to succeed in Hollywood. Right. <laughs> the people you're competing against right. would do anything. So yeah. like, if you just think maybe I want to do this, mm -hmm. I don't want to discourage anybody, but if you think maybe or maybe not, then you should maybe think about finding something else. Right. Because <laughs> I feel like there are people that, you know, we you only hear about the success stories of LA and New York, but I feel like for each success story, there's like hundreds of people that want it more than anything, but never quote unquote make it whatever you consider that to mean 
but you can't just be like apathetic about it, <laughs> you know? Right. But that actually one of the most important things I think is to define what making it means. What do you think making it means? I mean, for me, what I wanted, I mean, everybody, it'd be, it'd be amazing to win a bunch of Oscars and, right. and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The only thing that would be what what I want is an ability to tell stories and to have a voice mm-hmm. in our culture, right? And an ability to to tell those in the way that I want to tell them. Mm-hmm. Now, the stories I want to tell are pretty weird. So I was never going to, the scripts I write were never going to be in studio. Right. Like they would think I was crazy if I said Um so it's, you know, like my feature I went out with was a, a time-traveling tra- robot <laughs> who goes to 1983 to find the source of artificial intelligence because he believes that's their god. I think um, that's perfect. I think yeah. that should be in every theater. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was if great. Midsummer can be in a theater, I think that movie should be in every theater. <laughs> oh, well, actually, it has opened up in terms of weirdness, which is great. Oh, perfect. But at the time, <laughs> this was, you know, I mean, that script at the time was just, right. I showed it to people in the agency. They're like, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> Our lead was a 11-year-old Asian boy, an 80-year-old man, and a... And a uh, middle-aged African-American woman, which is not the Hollywood formula. Right. It should be, but it's not. Of course, right. yeah. So anyway, for me, making it was just figuring that and that ability to make movies and keep making them. So mm-hmm. I feel in my own way that I've made it feels too strong because I don't think I'm dumb, mm-hmm. but I feel very happy with what I've done. Right. right. I think that should be the goal Yeah. is being happy <laughs> but if with you don't, what you're doing. But you have to know what you want. Right. Because you can get out there and just get caught. So when I was in the agency... You get caught up in it, and I started thinking, oh, I need to close these mega million deals and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And then I had to remind myself, that's not why you're here. Right. Some people are there for that, and they need to go do that. But I think it's figuring out what you want, maybe adjusting it occasionally, but reminding mm-hmm. yourself of, of why you're there, wherever that is for you. What do I want out of this, and am I doing that? Because it gets easy to get sidetracked. Right. You touched a little bit on representation in, in Hollywood amongst minorities, and we're recording this like Comic-Con either was just happening or is happening right now. And Marvel announced like their next stage of the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe. And um, I forget which director it was, but one of the directors was talking about how diverse it's going to be. Do you think like huge companies like Disney and stuff like that, do you think them employing more of a diverse cast slash crew is a genuine push for diversity or is it a marketing ploy? Um. I think it's both. Mm-hmm. Big companies are there to make money. They have shareholders. Mm-hmm. They don't even have owners anymore. They have shareholders. Mm-hmm. And the market dictates to them if they're making enough money or not, right? Mm-hmm. That's not to excuse their behavior. Of course. Um, you know, I'm, I'm gay, and back in the 80s, uh, 90s really, I guess is kind of when I was coming of age, is um, companies had just started advertising to gay people. Oh, interesting. Which sounds like normal now, but right. back then... It was unheard of even to have a major in a, like a the advocate which is a gay news magazine mm-hmm. i remember when absolute vodka took out an ad and that was so revolutionary right. and we're all like yeah but then we're like oh they just want to make money off of us mm-hmm. but it's still progress of course so even though it was for financial mm-hmm. means it is progress so i think what is happening in in hollywood is progress and i you know having come from a community where i know how hard it was to not see myself on screen mm-hmm. i i believe in underrepresented voices being represented of course right? but yeah it is happening now too because it's also a business necessity i mean african-american movies are killing it yeah black panther like, like, yeah. blew up and <laughs> even know? beyond even just like the tyler perry stuff it, right theatrically yeah they're and crazy rich asians change mm-hmm. thing um the movie i just finished we have asian directors of two asian american leads mm-hmm. um and uh that would have been harder to do five years ago. Right. So I'm glad these stories can get told. And I guess the reason for it, whatever it is, I'm glad they've at least, they're making the right decision. Totally don't have to answer this, but I just got curious about this. Did um, you being gay make it harder to come up in the film industry whenever you were? If that's um, too personal, you can say skip no. <laughs> and go on to the next thing. But I just want to know what that experience is like. No, I don't think it's too personal. Um, I think the only, you know, it's funny because out in California, it's, I remember in the mailroom, I'd been there about a week or so, and I'm not in any way closety, but it's, I don't mm. lead with my sexuality. You right. know? Um, and somehow it came up. Somebody asked me about something about you know dating or whatever, and I mm. came out, and n- nobody cared. Right? Mm. 
And I remember that same day somebody told us he was a vegan and everybody was fascinated. They're like, how long have you known you were a vegan? Like, what, what was it like to be a vegan as a teenager? And I was like, oh my God, I used to be that guy that right. you were all asking. So right. in this weird way, I was grieving for a, a more oppressed time. <laughs> so you it, wanted people like asking you the question. Yeah, yeah. I love that question of how long have you known that you are a vegan? <laughs> well, I guess when I stopped eating right. animal-based products. They were just fascinated with veganism. That is such a California story. <laughs> yeah, they are. So I, I got out there. It really wasn't a big deal. Now mm -hmm. the only place, and I don't think this is specific to gay people. Mm -hmm. but I think you know I was not interested in doing some of the same things that in the corner of the industry I was in, which is the agency, mm -hmm. which is kind of a the guys in the agency at least. Even it, it's a it's a world where they're out doing guy things, right? And right. I was yeah. Not, of course. I didn't care about that. I was also a little older because I was coming out of grad school. Mm -hmm. So I think what hindered me was not in any way. Uh, being gay, but it was just, um, just kind of wanting a little different things in life. Right. But I don't even call it a hindrance. I think it just, what I learned to do is just find the people I wanted to hang out with and hang out with right. them. Right. You know, I was in the wrong and the agency was good for me, but socially that was not my end of the business where I was okay. going to make. It was kind of like friends. a frat type thing. Yeah. And I hate, I hate to say that because I have mm -hmm. good friends there that are thoughtful, educated people that care about movies. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to, I don't want to malign the whole industry. Of but, course. But the social end of it felt more like right. that is what I should say. Right. What has been the biggest change in the industry since you started? You were talking about those companies that closed. Mm -hmm. um, but is there anything else that sticks out to you? Um, I think for me, the biggest change, the democratize, the democratization of technology mm -hmm. has changed everything. Mm -hmm. Um, for good and bad. You know, the whole reason I made my first movie is because it was finally cheap enough for me to get the stuff I needed because I didn't have to shoot on film anymore. Right. right. But what it has done is just flood the market. There's so much content. Right. There's no going back on it. The good news is there's all these outlets. There's all these, mm -hmm. you can make a living so many different ways mm -hmm. in media right now. I'm actually very optimistic for our students. That's comforting to hear <laughs> as someone about to graduate <laughs> in a year. Yeah, I think if you were flexible and I think now what's shrunk a little is the feature film market is right. hard, but you know, web series and, and, mm -hmm. and branded content and all these other, there's all these different things happening to an extent that they just weren't. Mm -hmm. So I think what is great is more of us can make movies, mm -hmm. and then what is hard is how do you stand out? Right. How do you get your movie seen? So we talk about a lot in the distribution class I teach is, um, you know, who's my audience and how do I reach that audience, right? Mm -hmm. So I think the challenge is going to be having a product people care about, mm -hmm. understanding why people care about, and then standing out in right. the marketplace. But that has changed everything. Right. I think what I've noticed honestly mostly about how like I consume media is that it can be really hard for someone to introduce like a new piece of content for me because I know exactly what I like and it's accessible within 10 seconds mm -hmm. like I can find a video that I know I'm going to enjoy so for a brand new film to like convince me like I don't I'm not always watching movies in my spare time because like it's kind of taking a chance on like an hour and a half of your time if you're going to like it. But since I know, oh, I'm going to, I know I'm going to like this whatever video on YouTube that it's kind of like, how do you convince people to leave what they know yeah. <laughs> and continue watching? We think of the internet as being uh, something that expands our, our media diet, but it actually constricts it. Right. Once you're in a search-based and algorithm-based paradigm, right? Yeah. You're just getting these exactly. same things in. And when I remember I first got Amazon Music, I'm like, I'm going to discover so many new things. <laughs> And then it's like they're just feeding me. Exactly. So I'm actually just listening even more to, I listen to kind of this mellow electronica, right? Mm -hmm. That's all I listen to now. Right. And so I've actually restricted everything. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's a challenge. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have for people like me who are in film school and want to work in the industry and like want to produce in this ever-changing film world that we exist in? One is be flexible. Mm-hmm right? Pursue opportunity. These are, these are contradictory advice. You need to stay focused on what you want mm -hmm. and you need to be flexible. Right. <laughs> so you're not flexible on your final goal. Your final goal is to, you know, if you want to have movies that are kind of festival type movies, if you want to, mm -hmm. if you want to be a working professional um, in advertising, if you want to be in TV, whatever that is, keep your on that final goal mm -hmm. and then be flexible on your route there. Because mm -hmm. it's weird what will get you there. Right. Right. You've got to be open-minded. For me, 
going into the agency and then switching into distribution all led me back to a point where I feel confident producing feature films, right? Mm -hmm. If the whole time I had just said, no, this is not what I'm here for, I would have missed on all those opportunities. But then what I had to do is as you veer off that path is remind yourself that path is there. Mm -hmm. You know, I recommend that you write down on a sticky note or something and put it on your mirror why you're there, wherever there is. If it's Mm -hmm. Atlanta, if if it's staying in Savannah, if it's Los Angeles, whatever that is. Just to check in with that every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Make sure you're actually on that path. Do you do that on like a schedule or is it just every now and then you you think about that? I, uh, yeah, it wouldn't hurt. It depends on the type of person you are. Right. But I would, I mean, for me, it would typically come either at the end of the year or, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, these moments where you have time to reflect. Right. Is just see, am I actually doing what, what I was put on this earth to do? Mm-hmm. You know? And do you feel as if you are? I do. Actually, good. I do. That's good. good. That's, a, that's a good answer. <laughs> um, now, the final question, which I think is really funny, um, and it kind of a segue because you were just you just mentioned the music that you listen to. If you could have any song play the second you enter any room, what song would you choose to be like your walkout music that everyone would hear? <laughs> I have. It's funny you ask me this because I have uh, already told uh, my husband and my friends that I want Mr. Roboto played at my funeral. <laughs> So I think I would walk out to Mr. Oh, Roboto. I love that so much. That's, uh, That's perfect. And maybe fireworks. <laughs> nice. I don't know what answer I expected, but Mr. Roboto definitely wasn't it. But it was that was the best answer possible. Oh, good. Okay. Good. That's great. Um, and finally, before we wrap out, do you have any films that we can be looking out for in the future? Oh, yeah. So, well, we, we finished one called Viscous uh, this mm-hmm. past fall. Um, so we're in a post on that. Uh, which hope to have it. We're finishing our visual effects now. Mm-hmm. So Viscous should be out next year. Um, the Uncanny is what I just produced last month. Mm-hmm. I have um, feel really good about both of these. Uncanny, we're going to picture lock this fall. So we'll have mm-hmm. a we'll, sometime next year. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a small movie called Dakota last year mm-hmm. that we're shopping for distribution right now. It's a music-based movie. Okay, cool. Um, keeping out for those. I'm about to start a documentary. but What's your documentary about? Um, it is, I'm looking at uh, gentrification, but through the lens of a neighborhood and not just gentrification, but um, the idea of how we appraise homes, particularly based on race in the South hmm. and how um, there's a uh, there's a sort of social inequity mirrored in the housing market that mm-hmm. we see in the rest of our culture. And it's amazing the sort of ripple effects that has. Mm-hmm. So it's actually a very uh, story-based, positive tracking of one um predominantly African-American neighborhood in Savannah. Mm-hmm. Um, but through that, we're going to look at issues of, of fairness in housing and in finance. Wow. That sounds really fascinating. Okay. Well, <laughs> thank you so much for doing this. This has been a bunch of fun, and I look forward to seeing seeing those films that you were talking about. All right. Thank you. Thank you.